Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Just kidding. Um, how are you all today? You good? I'm Dana. If we have not met, lovely to meet you. I'm married to that handsome guy who you just saw up here. And his name is Andrew. I don't know why I'm introducing my whole family. It's that, um, it's that afternoon, I need lunch kind of thing that's happening right now. Anyway, how is your summer going? Oh, jeez always. Not great. How is your summer going? You all right? Yeah. Are you surviving it? Have you done some fun things? Yeah. Good for you. My summer's going great. It's, it's good. Um, so funny. A lot of you found me in the last few weeks to check in on me, to check up on me, and I suspect that is because, um, well, this past summer, Andrew, my husband, was in charge of planning the entire family holiday this summer. I just left him to it. And, and if you know Andrew, he's outdoorsy, loves to climb mountains, you know, that's his thing. If you know me, I'm not. So um, the family holiday that he sort of designed for us this past year, found us this past summer, found us um, in the wilds of the west coast of Ireland, beautiful Donegal, right, in a 200-year-old cottage with no Wi-Fi, no electricity, no mains water, um, yeah. Um, we had to keep things cold in the river, like you stuck your food in the river, and then you had to send the kid out to go get it in the morning. Um, and so a lot of you were checking in on me, making sure that I was okay after said holiday, that our marriage was okay after said holiday. And I'm delighted to report we had a great time. And yeah, we did. And we might do it again next year. I might send Andrew and the children. <laughs> next year. Um, but yeah, so I hope you're having a good holiday too. I am going to um, read from our scripture this morning. And I don't remember the last time we had someone teaching from this book. And if I'm honest, this book is kind of interesting. It's the last book of the Bible. It's easy to find. Revelation. If you um, grew up in the church, your, uh, maybe your first thought when you think of the book of Revelation was that delightful little book series called Left Behind. Anybody? Yeah. I read it and scared myself um, and still didn't understand it. I'll just put it out of there. But today we're going to be reading uh, in chapter 5 of Revelation. You know what? Let's stand up. Let's stand up and read the scripture together. Will that do? Let's start at verse 1 here. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth 
could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, to not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And I'm skipping down to verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Amen. You can sit down. I was going to try and raise that up, but I think it's only being held together by tape, so I'm going to leave it alone. (laughs) We've been on the most incredible journey this summer, leaning into our series, Dreams of the Future. Have you enjoyed it? It's been wonderful. You have to say that. It's like not like anyone's like, no, it was horrible. But I believe you. I choose to believe you. Dreaming the impossible. Dreams for ourselves. Dreams for our family, for our friends, our neighbors, the work of our hands, one of my favorites. And it makes me wonder if over the past couple of weeks you've been entertaining new dreams. Well, um, today we're going to be looking at dreams of the future for our land. Now, I'm going to be very vulnerable and honest with you all this morning. Of all the talks I've ever been invited to offer um, here at Wagon Valley Vineyard, this, this one had me a little bit nervous these past few weeks. Um, in my most fearful moments while I was asking the Lord what he was saying, asking the Lord whether I was the person to say it, um, I actually tried to get Andrew to do this sermon for me. And he just lovingly looked at me and said, darling, I'm praying for you. (laughs) Do you remember, it made me think actually, I don't know if you did this, but um, when I was young in youth group, I was super, super churchy, loved it. And um, one of the things we used to do for fun is pray for our future spouses. It was, (laughs) we were wild. And... um, (laughs) I used to pray, oh, Lord, I want to marry someone who challenges me. (laughs) And the Lord, of all the prayers I prayed, he chose to answer that one. (laughs) No, I love it. But it's important to me that you know that um, I've approached this with um, reverence. And I feel really honored and humbled to even have a chance to speak on this dreams of our future for our land. Um, Because obviously, maybe not so obviously to some of you, I'm not from here. She's shocked, I know. It's... (laughs) I'm the epitome of Irishness. Um, No, my story didn't originate in this place, and I I do know that. And um, so I'm not... I'm not presuming here. 
I'm not here this morning thinking, I know this place better than you, and um, I or my country of birth, we have it all together, and now I'm here to fix you. No. This morning, I am here, and, and the act of me even agreeing to speak on this is me declaring my, my love for this place, my commitment to this place, my devotion to this place. And in some ways, it reminds me of that part of the Bible. Do you remember in the book of Ruth, where Ruth and Naomi, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, went through such tragedy, and the only thing that Naomi could do was to go back to her native land, and Ruth went with her. And, and Naomi, in her love for Ruth, tried to say, you know what, this is going to be a really weird experience for you. My people, you know, they speak a different language, and we have different customs, and you're not going to be used to it, and, and maybe you won't feel comfortable. Why don't you go back to your people? And Ruth uh, says to her mother-in-law, no, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Essentially, your problems, my problems. Your future, my future. And that's how I feel about this, our land. I do deeply, deeply love this place. And after 14 years of being a permanent resident here, I am more convinced than I ever have been that this place has a mandate from heaven to be a supernatural resting place. This might be a little controversial, but, you know, we tell our kids, only half joking, that these Celtic lands hold deep and ancient magic. Because I'm stunned every time someone visits this place from another country, from the far reaches of the globe, when they visit this wee place, believers and non-believers alike, when they're processing their experience with us, they use words like transcendent, holy, otherworldly. And many places around the world are special for many different reasons. It's not just us. Many places, I believe, were fashioned for specific purposes. And all of God's creation... There is intention and purpose, not just in human beings, but in all creatures, all of creation, the soil, the earth, and everything that he created. And for us, I believe that we were marked for a special purpose that involves healing, nourishing, creating, reconciling. So that's why it doesn't really surprise me, and it probably doesn't surprise many of you, that the enemy of God has attempted and succeeded in many respects in stealing, killing, and destroying our God-given purpose here on this land. And this land, this beautiful, beautiful land with its wonderful people has become broken and hard-hearted and confused and divided and angry and heartbroken as a result. 
But thank God that does not have to be the end of our story. Isn't that good news? That does not have to be the end of our story. Heaven right now is alive and bustling with the purposes of God for his creation. One of my absolute favorite parts of scripture is found in Isaiah 6. And it paints a picture of a human overhearing a conversation in heaven. A conversation of heavenly beings conspiring to get another people who had lost their way back on track for their heavenly purpose. And maybe you'll recognize this conversation. It went a little bit like this. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? To which this human, this prophet responds, I'll go. Send me. Now, one thing you should know about me, I try to hide it because it's not really polite, but I am really, really, really nosy. <laughs> like, really, really nosy. As a young child, I perfected the art of lip reading for the purposes of knowing other people's conversations at restaurants. I would report said conversations to my parents all the time, be like, mom, I think they're breaking up. Mom, he's about to propose. Mom, you know, I just, I just love knowing. I don't know, I just want to know other people's business. Anybody, is it just me? Is anybody else that nosy? It is just me? Okay, great. Well, some people think that like human nosiness is a result of the fall, like the imperfect world that we live in, thanks to Adam and Eve and that apple, and now it's just one of those things, one of our bad habits that we need to be healed from. But actually, and humor me with this, like stay with me, I actually think it's a sign of holiness. Yeah, I'm really, really holy. And um, I, I actually think that God made us nosy, okay? But instead of being nosy about the lives of former Love Island cast members on Instagram, I think he really desires us to be nosy for what's being said in heavenly places. Heaven loves a holy eavesdropper. When's the last time you felt really nosy about what was going on in the heart of the Father? So while there's a lot that we can and we should and we probably will say, in this community, about this cultural moment we find ourselves in in this land, and this even political moment we find ourselves in this land. This morning, I sense the Lord actually wants to prepare us for the road ahead. The road ahead. 
it's easy to live here and feel like the train is completely off the tracks. The adults have left the building. We have no idea what's going on. Everyone just hold on and do your best to survive. But the reality is the Lord is intentional. He has not forgotten us. He has no plans to forsake us. And he actually has dreams for this land. And he is preparing the road ahead to that good future. You see, the road to our good future will be paved with, I wonder what you think I'm going to say next. This is not one of those sermons that you're going to hear where I go, oh my gosh, you are the best. Your dreams will all come true. Everything you want, God wants to give it to you. No. Although I would love that sermon. If anybody wants to preach it, I will be here for it, underlining and taking notes. No, this isn't that sermon. This is that annoying sermon that says, you see, the road to our good future will be paved with sacrifice. Hard grafting. Courage. Boldness. We live in a time that says, if your road to success is really hard, you're failing. Does anybody else feel like that's kind of what's being said to you? Look at everybody else living their best life. While I'm over here, slogging away, failing. No, the road to God's good future is paved with sacrifice, hard grafting, courage, and boldness. God's future for us is free because he's so generous, but it doesn't come cheap. Every person that decides to join God in his work on this island will pay a cost. But before God ever asks anything from you, he gives something to you. And that something is really important. Without that something, you will not be sustained on the road towards God's good future. And that something is what we see all throughout scripture. And what we see here in Revelation 5 where the Lord allows human beings to catch a glimpse a whisper, a peek into heavenly places, places that are teeming with the visions and the dreams of God. And why does he let you catch a glimpse, a vision, a peek, a whisper? Because that glimpse, just that little look, just that small taste 
will be enough to sustain you and enough for you to joyfully sacrifice your life for God's good future. And that is the ask this morning. That is what he's asking your whole life. Your whole life. We all have dreams. The problem isn't that we don't have dreams. I wonder what dreams have your heart this morning. I'll be honest with you. For most of my life, the dream that had my heart was the dream not to die. I'm to not die, to live a long life, maybe get a little bit more money so I can relax and take two holidays a year. I don't know, maybe get a bigger house, a nicer car. You know, just, just live my life and feel really good and secure. That was the dream. In fact, actually, now that I think about it, it describes where I come from, the American dream. We have a whole thing about it. It's a culturally accepted dream. You know how, I don't know if you've ever, now I don't know if people are still doing this, okay? But in people's houses of a certain age, sometimes you go in and on the walls you'll see portraits of like important people. So you might see like the Swedish Jesus. That just means, you know, like blue-eyed, blonde hair Jesus, you know. And then you might see like the Pope or Winston Churchill. I don't know. I don't know who, you know. So black Americans are kind of the same. You would have gone to like my grandmother's house or my great aunt's house and you'd have walked in and very similar, you would have seen Jesus, but it was like black Jesus with an Afro. Okay. And almost nine times out of 10, if there was another portrait of another person, who do you think it was? Martin Luther King Jr. Honestly, like, I think black people thought there was a fourth member of the Holy Trinity. I don't know what you would call that, a quadruple I don't know. And Dr. King was the fourth member. He was very high up there in our esteem. And so in the black Christian home, we memorize scripture, John 3.16. But you also remember, memorize the speech, I have a dream. And you had to give it like every Christmas in front of everybody. I don't know why at Christmas it was weird. But growing up with the presence of that incredible person sort of constantly looming in your life, you think about him a lot, even subconsciously. And I remember one time staring at a picture of Dr. King in my house or in my grandmother's house. And genuinely, I was like, so grateful for everything you've done. But geez Louise, like, you knew you, knew you were going to get killed for this. Why? Didn't you just like chill? Like you could have lived longer if you just maybe like just chilled a little bit. 
Because again, what was the most important dream in my life? Life. My life was my most important dream. What makes a person able to know that hardship and even death is coming and still continue on the road that he's on? We're going to play a video here this morning, and I just want you to have a wee listen to it. The sound is kind of weird, so if you can just sort of get past that, I think you'll find it really profound. This is Dr. King telling us himself. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The very next day, Dr. King was murdered. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, and it was enough. It was enough for me to spend my life for his good future. There was a reality that Dr. King was living in And I've heard of this reality often because it was the same reality that my grandmother was living in at the time and her children, my mother. And you probably know all the stories because the story of the civil rights movement in America has been told countless times all over the world. Regular people catching a glimpse of a good future and peacefully spending their lives towards that future in the face of being jailed, beaten, wrongfully accused, and in many cases, losing their lives. 
My eyes have seen the glory. I have caught a glimpse. I've heard the whispers of the dreams of heaven. I want that. As much as I want a good life, I think more than that, I want to catch a glimpse and find something worth dying for. Dreams so beautiful that I would gladly give my life to see them come to fruition. Church, I would argue that you'll never truly live until you've caught sight of a God dream and surrendered yourself to it. When we were chatting about doing this series this summer, it was really important to us that we majored on the enjoyment of following Jesus and the joy of doing it together in family and the childlikeness of play and imagination because one of the things that, one of the consequences I think of the torn history of this place has been an imagination that is on life support. The difficulty we find in seeing a good future, we can't even imagine it. Dreaming with God is serious discipline. Taking time to open yourself up to the dreams of God and integral, it's an integral part of your life. Being and feeling meaningful. Did you know that is one of your deepest needs as a human being is meaning? That when you are meaningless, you feel lifeless and listless. The Lord is saying to you this morning, get nosy. Come, put your ear against the door of heaven. Listen to the chatter in my throne room. Become a holy eavesdropper. I don't know about you, if you have a house full of kids, which I do. Well, it feels like I only have three, but it feels like, like, 10,000. You use this phrase a lot in your house because, you know, kids. The phrase is, I wonder what you think the phrase is. Tell me some of the phrases you use in your house over and over and over again. Anybody? Can you do this? Like, yeah, pick up your sock. Can you do that? Yeah, I do that. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Oh, jeez. If I hear, what are we doing today? One more time. 
What are some of the phrases the parents are using? Leave your sister, leave your sister alone. For goodness sake. What else? I brought you, woo! You got that old school parenting. I brought you in this world. I can take you out. My mother told me that all the time. I didn't know she actually couldn't, like legally, but I believed her. Someone else was saying one. What was the one? In a minute. I know, I know. So one of the phrases we use so often that we now sing a song with this phrase is, nor what is it? Do you know what it is? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Right? So that's horrible, horrible advice. That's not what the Lord's saying. Your business is boring. Mind heaven's business. Be about heaven's business. I, I love that um, in the Gospels, there's this, it fe- the story feels random to me. You know the story where Mary and Joseph lose Jesus for three days? I actually think the Lord put that in the Bible just for parents to be like, look, if you ever feel like you're failing, don't worry about it. They lost God for three days. They had one thing to do, just keep this kid, lost him for three days. But when they finally found him, I don't know if you remember this. They were like, where were you? Right? Because they knew they had lost God. Like, come on. Where were you? And what did he say? He's like, why are you looking for me? You know I'd be about my father's business. Because Jesus was nosy for the things of God. Earlier this year, Andrew and I have found ourselves in some really unique places following Jesus. Oftentimes, we sort of chuckle to ourselves. I'm like, how are we here? Is this a mistake? Is it like another Andrew and Dana Masters that's supposed to have been invited, but we got the invite instead? And one of those places was um, in this massive hall at Queen's University at this black tie dinner celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Now, that whole week, I had been sort of in and out of different events that were happening, and it was incredible for me. It was a massive learning experience. I knew the story of the Good Friday Agreement, but being in the room with the architects of the agreement, talking about how that came about, the conversations they were having with one another in back rooms and the fear they had that they couldn't pull it off. There was something so moving about that. It was living history. So here we were at this dinner, and in the room, about from me to Noor, were the Clintons. Those Clintons, yes, not like the Clintons of Balina, like the Clintons, the Blairs. And all these other people 
And at our table, we were sitting with a ton of amazing people, but Andrew got stuck in this conversation. He was happily stuck in this conversation with Monica McWilliams, who has an incredible story, so visceral, her own personal journey. And Andrew spent nearly the entire dinner talking to her. And I remember over and hearing him say at one stage to her, Monica, this must be so crazy for you. I mean, 25 years ago, we didn't even know if we could pull this off. And here we are 25 years later, celebrating. And she said, yeah, yeah, Andrew, it is amazing. It's it's unbelievable. She says, every year since the agreement was signed, we, we gather to celebrate what was accomplished. She said, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm tired. She said, I don't, I don't want to go to another one of these. She said, please, God, next time, let us be gathering to celebrate something new. I will never forget that as long as I live. What she was saying was, we, we need a new dream. I mean, there was a time when our dream was a ceasefire. Our dream was just to stop hurting each other. But can we get a new dream? It's time for new dreams. For new dreamers. I really hope that this doesn't sound like a political talk because it's not meant to be one, nor is it a talk about Catholic or Protestant or Republican or Unionist or Irish or British. But don't fool yourselves into thinking that God's dreams won't have political implications for this place. In fact, God's dreams will demand a very close scrutiny of all of our ideologies and identities. Being a unionist isn't wrong. Being a Republican isn't wrong. But if your faith cannot be separated from a union jack or a trickler, then your faith has grown out of toxicity. Some of our ideologies and some of our identities need let go if we're to move towards God's good future. Some of them need let go and some of them need brought low. Bowing down to his rule first, his kingship first. I say this knowing the weight of it because a few years ago, um, I ran headfirst into this and hit a brick wall. Uh, a friend of Andrew's, a guy named Stephen Backhouse, wonderful guy, spent some time in the States, um, does a lot of teaching, 
on things like faith and politics and ideologies and things like that. And I was like, this is going to be great. I was like, Andrew, can I come? Because he was doing it for the vineyard pastors. I was like, can I come? He was like, yeah, come on in. And there's something you should know. Um, listen, I, <laughs> I love being black, okay? I'm not, I'm not, that's not a joke. I love being black. In the black culture in America, we have this saying that we say when we're sort of like, okay, there's like being black and then there's being black, right? Like the culture, like you, it's in you. And the saying we'll use is like, I'm blackity black, black, black. I'm blackity black, black, black. I can say that, you cannot say that. But if you ever hear what they're saying is the culture is in me. Like I am fully embraced, committed to, celebrate. I am blackity, black, black, black. In fact, I think I'm about to get a t-shirt that says that because I saw them on Instagram and I was like, ah, yes. Because I love it. I love being black. I love my family's story. I love, I love the history. I love the food. I love the culture. I love the arts. I love it. So when Stephen Backhouse had us in a room and he was asking us, like, what's your identity? I was like, I'm black. <laughs> and then he was like, that's so cool, Dana. I'm really happy for you. And also, it's really interesting that you didn't first say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well. I remember walking away from that meeting. I was a bit angry. I felt like someone was trying to take my blackness from me. I did. This identity that I had wrapped myself up in that probably informed my faith more than my faith informing it. For some of us, some of our ideologies and identities need to be let go and some of them need to be brought low under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, beloved king of all Catholics and Protestants, Republicans and Unionists, Irish and British. Because when we catch one of God's dreams for this land, we, we will find ourselves willingly Bowing the knee in repentance. Repentance for living in denial. Repentance for writing this place off. Repentance for allowing resentment and fear to lead for so long unchecked and unchallenged. You see, God's dreams for this land will find you breaking bread with unlikely friends. Making room for other narratives, other stories. God's dream for this land will be marked by who we let in, not who we keep out. I dare you to eavesdrop on heaven. I want to invite the worship team back up here. Today, we're going to respond... to the Holy Spirit. 
I know that he's speaking to people in this room. I know that he has been speaking for a long time to some of you, for some of you. And the, what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song. It's called, Is He Worthy? And like Dr. King, I think it's so important. Catching the dreams of God is not living in denial of the reality that we live in. For some of you, if I asked you, how do you feel when you think about this land? For some of you, you feel great. You feel hopeful. And others of you, you feel... You feel tired. You feel frustrated. You feel ashamed. But just like in Revelation 5, when one of the elders said to John, the writer of this book, don't weep. Because see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able. Would you stand with me today? This song is a call and response. And what that means is Hannah, who's going to lead us in it, is going to say something and then we respond and the responses in this song are like we do it is you'll see it on the screen and the first part of this song is about do you do you know and understand the reality of what you're living in I'm not going to try to pretend like everything's fine in our land it isn't it isn't. And so for the first part of the song, we're going to acknowledge that it, it isn't fine. And we actually don't know what to do. But if you're here this morning and you want to put your ear to the door of heaven... And you want to catch a glimpse of God's good future for this, our land. I want you to respond during this song. As we sing together that he is worthy of whatever it cost us to be about his business on the road to his good future. Will you do that with me this morning? Let's worship together.